Welcome to Decision Points, the podcast that tells the story of key moments in the history of the U.S.-Israel relationship. My name is David Mikowski, the Ziegler Distinguished Fellow at the Washington Institute and Director of the Project on Arab-Israel Relations, and I'm excited to go on this journey through history with you. This episode focuses on the transition of Israel from an idea to a reality. U.S. President Harry S. Truman was thrust into this conflict upon the sudden death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin from CBS World News. A press association has just announced that President Roosevelt is dead. In early 1945, FDR met with Saudi King Ibn Saud on the USS Quincy on the Suez Canal as World War II was coming to an end. An American destroyer comes alongside a cruiser in Great Bitter Lake on the Suez Canal in Egypt. It brings Ibn Saud, king of the five million people of Saudi Arabia, to a conference with President Roosevelt, stopping off here on his return from the Crimea conference. This 800-mile trip marks the first time that King Ibn Saud has ever left his native land. Ibn Saud said if the U.S. would recognize a Jewish state, it would earn the endless enmity of the Arabs. Ibn Saud's view was important because of U.S. dependence on Arab oil. FDR pledged he would make no decision on this issue without consulting with Ibn Saud first, and he would make no policy which would be hostile to the Arab people. However, just three years after FDR made that promise, Truman recognized the state of Israel on May 14, 1948. How did U.S. policy change so drastically? At least one senior official to both FDR and Truman said that if FDR had lived, there would have been no American recognition of a Jewish state. What was different about Truman? I was told by all these so-called experts that if it was done, it would involve the whole Near East in a war, and it would also involve the United States. Hitler had been murdering Jews right and left. I saw it, and I dream about it even to this day. The Jews needed some place where they could go. It was my attitude that the American government couldn't stand idly by while the victims of Hitler's madness were not allowed to build new lives. Truman loved the Bible, viewing it as a history book. He said, quote, the fundamental basis of this nation's law was given to Moses on the mount, end quote. Truman was also shaken to his core by the Holocaust. As soon as World War II ended and the horrific enormity of the Holocaust became evident, Truman demanded from Britain that controlled the mandate and its border that 100,000 Holocaust survivors in displaced persons camps be allowed to go to Palestine. Yet it would be Britain that would trigger a key decision for Truman on the question of Zionism. At Haifa, the last British troops leave Palestine, and very few of them can have been sorry. As the tanks and soldiers went aboard the transports, the thought that a difficult and thankless job had been well done must have mattered much less than the prospect of going home. The Union Jack was hauled down, and the doors closed for good on the British mandate. London decided to pull out of the British mandate and throw the Israel-Arab conflict into the lap of a brand new organization, the United Nations. The UN decided to put a partition resolution forward for a two-state solution on November 29, 1947. The United States? Yes. Yemen? No. Yugoslavia? 
Abstain. The resolution of the Duck Committee for Palestine was adopted by 33 votes, 13 against, 10 abstentions. The Zionists were elated with the first vote for a Jewish state since the Roman period some 1900 years earlier. The leaders of the Arab states were furious, believing the Jews had no legitimacy for even half a loaf. They said the partition plan was, quote, a line of fire, end quote, and declared their willingness to go to war on behalf of their Palestinian brethren. While Truman made sure that the U.S. voted for partition, his government did not agree with him. Secretary of State and national hero of World War II, George Marshall was a key architect of U.S. policy to contain Soviet expansionism, known as the Cold War. And this meant gaining the support of the Arab states to join the U.S. in this new endeavor. Others worried about the U.S. dependence on Arab oil. Still others thought a Jewish state would not be viable at a time of war, believing the U.S. military would be called upon to go to war and extricate this nascent Jewish state. Truman agreed with the military that the U.S. should not enter any war, and indeed it was agreed that the U.S. would embargo both sides. The Zionists felt this hurt them more, as the British had funded the Jordanian military. Yet the Zionists knew that they were all alone on this fighting ground, but having the U.N. partition resolution gave them legitimacy, and the Zionists greatly valued the idea of U.S. recognition, while the Arab states adamantly opposed it. The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the new state of Israel. How did Truman navigate these competing forces, ultimately leading the U.S. recognition of Israel? We want to understand this key turning point, when Truman took the big step and defied his critics and decided to recognize Israel. With us today to discuss Truman's role is Ronald Radosh, the co-author of A Safe Haven, Harry S. Truman and the Founding of Israel, written with his wife, Alice Radosh. He has written 14 other books, and he's an adjunct senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. Ronald, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Maybe I'll start it off with this question. You know, I want to understand what drove Truman to support a Jewish state. His critics say it came from his desire to win key U.S. states during the 48 election. Is it fair to charge him with politics rather than a concern for policy? Short answer is no, and let me get into it. First of all, as you said in your introduction, I think Truman believed and had read the Bible thoroughly. He saw that land as biblically part of a Jewish presence. And he went back centuries to say this land was really ordained by God for Jews. And it was in the Bible, and he believed in the Bible. He also saw the beginnings that the Jewish Yeshuv, the group that became, was creating the nascent state in Palestine, was already developing the area way beyond what it was before tilling the land, famously getting the land to bloom where before it had been all desert. And he had an advisor who did the ecological ground studies who, who showed him that the transformation uh, was phenomenal. And he went to the same areas in the Arab countries and said that could be done there, but they've done nothing. Look at the difference. So Truman had a lot of reasons leading him to support the idea and concept of a Jewish state. 
Now, Truman was, of course, a politician, a very good politician. He was part of that uh, local machine in uh, Independence, Missouri. Pendergast. Pendergast machine. His record there was not particularly clean. It was an old-fashioned political machine like Tammany Hall in New York City. And it was able to pick and choose its candidates. But the big allegation against Truman is that the reason he was friendly to a Jewish state was because he needed their votes in the forthcoming presidential election as well as senatorial and congressional elections before that. And he had given a critical pro-Jewish state opinion on the eve of Yom Kippur. And virtually every rabbi in every synagogue in the United States read his words on Friday night uh, in the services. And everyone knew that Truman was pledged and was sympathetic to the idea of a Jewish state. It's on the eve uh, of the midterms of 46. Right, right. Putting two and together, they said, well, that was clearly done for the vote. But here's what people ignore. We have this in our book. In one congressional race in Pennsylvania, an important state in the East Coast, I believe it was the governor or a senator from Pennsylvania who sent him a note. We really need you to intercede again because the polls show that we're likely to lose the race in Pennsylvania. And we have a lot of Jewish residents. If you could say something else, that might turn the corner and we could win in Pennsylvania. And Truman said, absolutely not. The issue of a Jewish state is one of national foreign policy, not a matter of electoral votes. Now, if he was doing it for electoral votes, he would have said, of course, I'll now say what's necessary to get the votes of Pennsylvania Jews. He didn't do that. Now, it coincided, of course, it helped with the Jewish vote because Jews around the United States were united in their hoping and belief that a Jewish state would and could be created in Palestine. Therefore, when Truman made the statement he made, they were overjoyed. It fit what they wanted. But Truman was doing it solidly on what he said were grounds of national interest. And his advisor, Clark Clifford, who was totally pro-creation of a Jewish state, was not Jewish. He outlined all the reasons to him as to why there should be a Jewish state. And he pointed out that you needed it for balance, you needed it to offset the Soviets. There were scores of foreign policy reasons necessary for U.S. recognition of a Jewish state. And that's what Truman was looking at, not the matter of votes. Now, some people will still dispute that and say, I don't believe it. And also, you have to remember that a lot of the people in the Senate, senators from Midwestern and other states where there are practically no Jews, were totally pro-Israel. And there was one state, there was a letter, a report from the British ambassador to uh, the British government to Ernest Bevan saying, I don't understand it. In our state, we have practically no Jews at all or none. And all the politicians are for creation of a Jewish state and we can't budge them. I don't understand it. So there were Democrats for a Jewish state and also Republicans for a Jewish state who were not doing it for electoral reasons or Jewish votes because there were hardly Jews there. By the way, didn't he lose the state of New York in the 48 election? Yes, he lost the state of New York because of the third-party candidacy of Henry A. Wallace, former Secretary of Commerce, who was running on a pro-communist ticket known as the Progressive Party and in New York City, the American Labor Party. Yeah. It had nothing to do. It split the vote between Republicans for Tom Dewey, leftist union members, and there was an area in the Bronx that was actually referred to as the Red Belt, a name taken from the Parisian communist area. 
And that was guaranteed, all the votes of union members in that area of the Bronx always voted for the Progressive Party uh, pro-communist slate. So it was a unique situation. Otherwise, if not for the Progressive Party vote, he would have won New York. And of course, all throughout the country, nobody else voted for Wallace. His votes were overwhelmingly just in the East Coast, enough to get Truman to lose New York. The Holocaust, you know, his demand that 100,000 from the DP camps be allowed to go to Palestine. Can you say, as someone who studied Truman up close, how the Holocaust impacted Truman? Well, tremendously. First of all, when he was senator, even before, at the very beginning, he did whatever he could to get relatives out of Germany for the, his Jewish constituents who wrote to him. Mm. And he gave a phenomenal speech on the Senate floor way before he was even vice president. He didn't know what the future held for him. And that's when I think, I believe he used the term we use as a title for our book, the Jews must have a safe haven in Palestine. So he was very instrumental and active in, from a moral reason, in trying to do what he could for the Jewish community in his state of Missouri. And of course, his closest friend was his Jewish army buddy from World War I, Eddie Jacobson. Since you mentioned Jacobson, because that meeting has, has gone into the folklore, maybe we could just talk for a moment about Eddie Jacobson. I mean, so explain to me, like, how key was that meeting? And maybe before you get into that meeting, just say a little bit about the, what it seemed like open warfare in his administration. Truman was right when he said in his memoir that the State Department was out to get him and pursue their own policy and try and sabotage the policy that Truman was advancing. That's absolutely true. First of all, the head of the Near East desk was Loy Henderson, who was a vicious anti-Semite and totally pro-Arab. All his affiliates, all his contacts, all his belief was that the United States needed the Arab nations. The U.S. had to be have an anti-colonial stance on behalf of the Arabs, and that the Arabs had the oil the U.S. would eventually, eventually need. And the U.S. must be, in his eyes, 100% behind the Arabs and not in favor of those who wanted a Jewish state. Backing him up was uh, very influential, especially with his later Mr. X later, the Doctrine of Containment, George F. Kennan, who was head of the policy planning staff. And George F. Kennan wrote a phenomenal long memo, unfortunately not as famous as his Mr. X letter on containment, but Kennan, too, joined Henderson in arguing vigorously against an Arab state. He said, if you favor a Jewish state, if the U.S. favors a Jewish state, it would mean the end of uh, any solid relationship with the Arab nations, which would harm American interests for decades. Furthermore, he argued, the Jewish state, he said, was likely to go and become pro-communist, be on the communist side in the fight over the Middle East. And of course, as we know, for a brief period of time before turning back to supporting the Arabs, the Soviet Union supported the creation of a Jewish state. Because they thought it would eclipse or, or limit, constrain British influence in the Middle East, right? Right, correct. They saw it as a way to get into the Middle East, get a foothold themselves, and a way to fight British imperialism. And therefore, the famous vigorous speech before the UN by their foreign minister, which if you read the speech, it sounds like it could have been written by the most 100% pro-Zionist in America. It was the Zionist speech that electrified the world. And of course, 
the nascent Israel, while the war of the five Arab nations against it was taking place, they may not have won except for all the arms the Soviet Union allowed to come into Israel from Czechoslovakia. There had not been a coup yet, but it was heavily under Soviet and communist influence. So the Czechs, Czech arms, helped Israel tremendously while the rest of the Western countries, including the United States, boycotted sending any arms to the Haganah. So basically, this open warfare is breaking out and uh, of the foreign policy elite establishment right. who sees that a Jewish state is not good in terms of harnessing Arab nationalism in the Cold War and also the dependence on, on Middle Eastern oil. So they think it's all wrong and it looks like the kind of trend line of Truman towards recognition is, has suffered a major setback with Austin's focus on UN trusteeship. Austin is known for some of our listeners, the famous joke of told about why can't these Arabs and Jews solve their problems like good Christians. And so the meeting with Eddie Jacobson, in your right. view, and the Weizmann yes. meeting, right. how significant is this for Truman? Or is his mind basically no, already made up? Very significant. Truman, in fact, was drifting back and forth and was unsure of himself and was worried once he saw what the State Department was doing, how he'd be able to effectively take them on because then he would be undermining U.S. foreign policy. He didn't quite know what to do, and he was ambivalent. He was favored a Jewish state, but he did not necessarily favor announcing that he would support it once the issue of declared a Jewish state. So Jacob's That's like Wilson. Wilson supported the Balfour Declaration but didn't want to announce it. Right. So you're saying that was an option that right. Truman was Correct. considering. Correct. And Jacobson was very important. First, Jacobson was his closest friend. He had carte blanche to enter the White House any time at all. No matter what Truman was involved in, if Jacobson showed up in the nation's capital, he always went on his own expense, actually using all of his money up. He told his daughters, I won't have anything left to you because I have to go back and forth to Washington to speak to Harry Truman. And his daughter said, we're proud of what you're doing. We don't care if you have money. You won't have money left to give to us. Wow, that's uh, a great so, story. So he went there and he said, Harry, I'm your oldest friend. I have never asked you for anything, ever. Since you've been president, I have not asked for any favor of any kind. But this is too important to let it pass. And he'd been asked to go by the Zionist leadership in America. And he said, Israel, the new Jewish nation that wants to declare a state, is at a crisis point. America can stand in its way or help it. It's very, very important to do that. And I want you, Truman had, Hyam Weitzman had come to the U.S., already sick and elderly, asking to see Truman. Truman was stalling. Weitzman was in a hotel in Washington. And he went over, he said, I'm asking you to see Chaim Weitzman. You know you respect him. I respect Chaim Weitzman more than any leader in the world. He is the greatest Jewish leader in my estimation. I know you like him. I know you think very highly of him. Please see him. And Truman said, all right, as you said, you bald son of a bitch, I'll see him. So he called Weitzman in to the White House. Weitzman, he says, come in through the back door so nobody from the press sees you. They won't know you're coming in here. They've monitored the front of the White House. So he saw him, and Weitzman gave him the pitch as best as he could, all the reasons he could muster as to why there had to be a Jewish state, including areas of the Jewish state that 
people, the Zionists weren't sure Truman would support. And he went through, he showed him the map, and he argued for him. He said, Mr. President, we need the support of the United States to succeed. And he said to Weizmann, I assure you now, I give you my word, I will recognize a Jewish state, but I am not going to make this public, but I am making a pledge to you, I will indeed recognize a Jewish state. Uh, there's a nice story about that that's not in our book because we only learned it afterwards from <laughs> from the actual person. I think it was it was in 48 already. It was in March, wasn't it? I think it was in March, yeah, way before the final right. showdown in the Oval Office. Right. But this person came up to me and he said, you know, I was a young kid, 12 or 13, and my mother was assigned, because she was a Zionist, to help Hyam Weitzman, who was practically blind, to read to him and help him get around in D.C. Every day, she said, my job, she said, my mother assigned me the job after school to go to the hotel and read the newspapers to Hyam Weitzman because he, he couldn't read the papers, and he would do that. And one day he came to the hotel on time. Weitzman was not there, and he waited and waited. Finally, Weitzman burst into the hotel room with a giant smile on his face, and he said, Weitzman was, always seemed to me depressed and sad and troubled and burdened, and all of a sudden he comes in with a giant smile on his face, and he says, Mr. Weitzman, it's good to see you smile. He said, yes, Sonny, I have to tell you something, but don't tell anyone else. Truman just told me he's going to recognize a Jewish state. Uh, wow. <laughs> and he said, this kid, now an adult who we met, said, I kept my word. I didn't tell a soul. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so there was actually one other person who knew wow. besides wow. Weitzman. Wow. And Marshall did not want that to happen. Perhaps we should segue into the famous fight in the Oval Office a few weeks before the recognition, which he called the uh, showdown in the Oval Office. It's like an old Western fight. George Marshall came, Truman convened a meeting purposely to discuss what should we do about the Jews in Palestine who are on the verge of creating a Jewish state. Should we support them? Should we not support them? I want to hear the arguments. Marshall came in and he looked over and saw Truman's aide-de-camp, an officer in the Navy, <coughs> Clark Clifford. And he said to him, what the hell is Clark Clifford doing here? He's your domestic advisor. He has no role in shaping foreign policy. I think it's a scandal that he's in here. And Truman said, no, Clark is here because I asked him to be here. And I want his view of what should be done forcefully prevented, presented to counter yours so we can hear all sides. So Marshall, This was three days before right, the decision, May right, 11th. Right. So Marshall hit full force all the arguments, the same arguments he gave to Charette and Moore, that it would destroy our relationship with the Arab countries. It would be disastrous for U.S.-Arab relations. It would make the Arabs our enemies for all time. We would have trouble getting oil. It would screw us up. It would help the Soviet Union get an inroad in there. They also He also used the argument, well, it was common in a lot of the CIA was spreading it, also that uh, many of the immigrants coming in to Palestine on these ships were actually Soviet agents meant to infiltrate so they could get the new state to be a Soviet client state. Highly exaggerated, although I'm sure there may have been a few, but that's what they were spreading. And the CIA spread that. The CIA also did a report forcefully opposed to recognizing Israel and supporting all the Arab states. So Truman not only had the State Department opposition, he had General Marshall, uh, the head of the State Department, and the CIA. All the 
agencies that advised him were against him. So then Clark Clifford gives his presentation, and Clifford based his stuff on also many consultations and suggestions from Truman's two Jewish advisors who gave him a lot of counter-arguments. And and he listed all the arguments that morally it was correct. It would look like the U.S. is drifting away from things that it said before. The U.S. had agreed on partition. This would be a state that agreed to partition. The Jews would not take all of Palestine. They were going to leave a good part of it to the Arabs. And this was a compromise already agreed upon. He argued that it would create a drift in foreign policy. No one would trust the United States. We'd be on the wrong side morally in the world. The Soviets would use this to their propaganda advantage. We were supporting a Jewish state, and only the U.S. stood in its way. Didn't Clifford also add at one point, he goes, the Arab states have to sell us oil. What are they going to do with this oil if they don't sell to the United States, which is the leading power in the world? Right. So the oil, the necessity for Arab oil. And Clifford would say there are plenty of other nations in the West that want Arab oil, the Arabs are going to sell it to us anyway. They're not going to withhold oil and hurt themselves because we said there should be a Jewish state and we credited, uh, gave it our accreditation. So he lays it all out. Truman decides to think it over and what they're worried about in the next few days, terribly worried, is that Marshall would have gone public. Now you have to understand it would not have been just another government official going public. And Marshall said... Ladies and gentlemen of the United States, I am most dissatisfied where Truman is perhaps leading the country. We had a meeting on whether to recognize a Jewish state, and I forcefully outlined the reasons why it would be a horrendous step for the United States. And in that meeting, I strongly opposed the creation of... If he went public, there would be an outcry. Marshall was one of the most favored heroes of the United States. He was more popular than Truman at right. the time. Right, he was a great They general. really feared he would leak it? That yes, he would go- absolutely. They sat on pins and needles because yeah. people, as we know in Washington, leak things, especially if they're dissatisfied and they want to, the public to know what they really thought. So they have someone leak it out. But Marshall was an honorable man and he said, Mr. President, I don't agree with you, but you're the president. You set policy. I will not stand in your way. Now, that is a man of honor. How different it is from today's America, where immediately everyone leaks. That famous sense was that I might not vote for you. Yes, That's right. what the American public remembers that. Right. Sense. And right. Is there, how, how did Truman react to that? Well, I think Truman was very pleased that he wasn't going public. He didn't care if Marshall didn't vote for him. Marshall was a man of principle. Truman respected that. Right. He didn't want Marshall to quit. And he, it would have, as you said, Marshall was more popular than Truman. What a... He really feared uh, Truman that he, that, he would, that he would quit, too. Yes. I mean, when he fired General MacArthur, MacArthur had great power, more than popularity than he did over the Korean incident. And uh, he could not afford this on this momentous decision. So come, come the day he prepared, and a minute or so after they declared the new state of Israel, Truman immediately went on the air and broadcast American recognition of Israel. Now, it was not full recognition. It was, uh, I forget the term per se, uh, the first stage. They did not create full diplomatic duties, but right. they recognized legitimately right. that the U.S. Would de, facto would, would de facto recognition. And it was later that right. they went the full step further. But the point is that Truman really had confidence in the character of George Marshall right. that if once he made that decision— 
that Marshall would line up behind it and would not somehow undermine him politically in an election year. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, what one person does is very important. If Marshall had done that, it would have been a disaster for Truman and the Democrats. He would not have been reelected. It would have been horrendous. The Republicans would have made hay out of it because Republican Plank was also for a Jewish state. Tom Dewey was for a Jewish state. It would be it. And then probably those on the liberal left might have switched to Wallace and other states. It, it would have been a disaster. Truman would have been defeated. Absolutely. So this brings me to my last question, which is how Truman, who was a student of history, right? how he viewed his move in retrospect. There's a famous sentence where he says, I am Cyrus. Correct. That meaning a reference to the, to the you know, the, the, at the time of the Bible when the, king of, Persia, the, the yeah. king of Persia, that he allowed the Jews to go back to the land to rebuild their temple that had been right. destroyed 70 years earlier in the Babylonians right. to rebuild that. So when you someone says, I am Cyrus, right. that suggests that he saw this as the supreme historic yeah. act well, that, that he had a great... Well, that is clear chutzpah on Truman's part. I mean, Truman, a a rabbi came, this was much later, a couple of years after Israel had been created, and a rabbi came and he said, we want to thank you. You know, the Jewish people have your name on their lips. They are so in awe and thankful that you said the United States would recognize Israel, and you did a good deal to help that goal be realized. And that's when Truman said to the rabbi, no, 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 I am Cyrus. In other words, Truman said, I did it. I was Cyrus, the person who allowed the Jewish state to be created. And he wanted credit for it. And Truman was very happy with the decision. Now, that did not satisfy all the Zionist movement. The hard line elements of the Zionist movement said, and they had a good point, that the embargo on selling arms to the Haganah, the new Israeli army, later to become the IDF, that withholding arms from Israel to defend itself when arms from Britain and all over the world were going to the Arab states gave the Arab states an advantage. And in the United States, the left of the political spectrum declared it to the Spanish Civil War where there was an embargo on arms. The U.S. would not send arms to the Republic and Germany and Italy and others gave the support to sending arms to uh, Francisco Franco and the Republic's Opponents. So they, particularly the political group that most lobbied and worked for Israel, was uh, the group affiliated with the Left Wing Nation magazine, edited by Frieda Kirchway, who was 100% a pro Zionist and fought hard for the creation of the Jewish state. And she was constantly running editorials that the State Department is trying to sabotage the Jewish state. Here's what's happening behind the scenes. That was of immense help. Another irony is today when we see the left engages in its own anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, the left in the United States at that time, even before the Soviets had switched to be pro-Jewish state, was always pro-creation of a Jewish state, solidly, and fought for it more than any other group in the United States. Yeah, no, that is remarkable. But but Truman was, I mean, from the time he made the decision, he had no regrets, as, as Absolutely. you said. Absolutely. In fact, he, before he died, he planned, a, he had never been to Israel. Right. And he planned a magnificent trip all through Europe in which he would meet the leaders of all the nations and end up in Israel by ship to the port of Haifa. And he was taking Eddie Jacobson with him. 
Eddie Jacobson died shortly before they were supposed to go. Truman was so bereft, he canceled the trip, and he never, ever went to Israel. Wow. 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 So that's an amazing story. I just cannot thank you enough for well, well, taking uh, the time and, and really enlightening us uh, on this. I mean, I, I think what I take from this on many th- levels, I mean, all these anecdotes that illuminate where Truman was, that he— he had these sympathies, but he, he did want to weigh the arguments on all sides. He had told Weitzman, though, I, I will come through for you, and he did come through. But ultimately, he had confidence in George Marshall, that George Marshall right. conveyed to him that if you make this decision, I will not yeah. undermine you. He and might not vote for him in the right. election, but more importantly, what he does behind the ballot box he was not going to somehow use this against him politically right. in a way that would undermine the president. Right. And as Harry, Eddie Jacobson might have very well said, Truman was a minch. Yeah. And, and the role of Truman's role, his relationship with Jacobson and how Jacobson put it all on the line, whether it's his own money, whether it's his one favor that he's asking yeah. his friend who becomes the president – it's a dramatic story, and I just can't thank you enough for well, coming. Thank in you. It's my pleasure. Thank you all very much for listening. Please go to your favorite podcast app, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell your friends. I also released a book co-authored with Ambassador Dennis Ross that addresses the history of U.S.-Israel relations. Be strong and of good courage how Israel's most important leaders shaped its destiny. I want to thank all of those who made this podcast possible. Basha Rosenbaum, Richard Myron and Anouk Millet of Earshot Strategies, Paul Woody Woodhull of District Productive on Capitol Hill, Scott Boxer, Rena Wasserstein, and David Patkin. Music.